I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the TV shows of 1999 from a hat. And by hat, I mean Ski Lodge in Switzerland here in 2022. Oh, boy. That was was amazing. I loved it. Uh, And with us today is the man who wrote that line. Oh, no, really? (laughs) Wasn't well, it she this said, episode? Yeah, Megan's Megan Mullally said uh, that she he, she was put on a budget because she bought a hat, and by hat I mean a ski lodge in Switzerland. She delivered it like Megan Mullally and not like me, therefore it was funny. Um, it's true. But it just goes to show that the acting matters. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, I made a, I made a grave error, uh, oh, and no. I'll cop to it right now. I What's forgot that? to ask you. I forgot to ask you if it's Greenstein or Greenstein. We've had it's you on the Greenstein. show before, Kenny. I've been on this show before. And I, I know, and we, and I asked you last time because it's the responsible <laughs> thing to do. Okay, uh, but I forgot. Is it Nybart? Yes, it is. Therefore, it is Greenstein. <laughs> well, but Greenstein. Well, yeah, I mean, but I but, mean, look, I agree know. with you. Like all great, you know, great, great Jews of Germanic Germanic origin. But uh, <laughs> but some people go Greenstein. That's true. That's true. I agree with you. They are wrong. So. So, Jeff, I reached out to you a little while ago about you coming on. I, it might have actually been, quite frankly, at one of your various barbecues or what have you. And I was like, would you come on to talk about Will and Grace? Because it feels like you wrote on the show for seven years, correct? Yeah. Um, we're not going to get a better inside baseball perspective on this enormously success. I mean, there, you know what I mean? There is, there is, the success of this show is 
pretty staggering. Kenny's got a Splenda. You all missed pre-recording. Kenny went, did a tight five on Sweet and Low. That Guys, was I, just, really I, don't mean to, I don't mean to break, but I literally was just playing with my Splenda bike and I broke it all over my computer. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, no. Um, so I want to ask you, were you, so you were on season one or did you start yeah. on season two? Okay, so you yeah. were there from the very beginning. Almost the very, very beginning. Right. I started during the production of episode four of Will okay. and Grace. Okay. So my question to you is... What was it like to be on this train? Like, did it feel like a big fat hit right out of the gate? Like, was this was this thing seismic from the jump? I just don't really. Re- I remember it always being a a show that was very successful. I just don't remember when it started to feel successful. It was not successful at the beginning. Okay, and it was sort of designed not mm-hmm. to be a show. You know, it's interesting. I just finished reading James Burroughs' memoir, which I recommend to you guys if you're interested in multi-camera shows. It's called Directed by James Burroughs. And one of the things he talks about is the whole idea of like sneaking into town. Uh You do not want to be the show in the 930 time Mm -hmm. slot after Seinfeld and before ER, because then, first of all, the spotlight is on you. And you better perform. And also your show better be internally consistent from end to end and airtight. No show is, particularly when it's finding its feet and particularly when it's dealing with somewhat tricky, complex, nuanced subject matter the way Will and Grace was. So I think it was very deliberately kind of undersold at the outset. Will and Grace premiered on Monday nights. And we were on Monday for a while. And then I think we got a look on Tuesday for a while before we finally moved to Thursday. So it took its time to grow. And that gave us time as writers. And one of the things that I discovered in rewatching the episodes that we're going to talk about, which fit your timeline, is you can see the show figuring itself out. And so it was not an out of the box hit. Yeah, go ahead. But it should be said, the episode that we're going to talk, we're going to talk about the show from 30,000 feet, obviously, but the episode that you wrote, episode 205 or 206, forgive me. Two, whatever. Which, it's early in the in season yeah. two. Um, garnered almost 13 million viewers. <laughs> so like, that's pretty that's, good. Yeah. That's, this is not a show that, yeah. now admittedly, in 1999, that's maybe not. That's the, like the, that's that's like the equivalent of like 1.3 today. But <laughs> Well, I mean, you also are talking about a universe in which Friends was getting 24 million viewers. That's that's what I mean. So, like, by that metric, I'm sure NBC is looking at this show and saying it's the little show that maybe could at some point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, well, well I, I, but I also think it's, you know, necessary to talk about Will Grace in the context of, you know, mm-hmm. LGBT characters. Yes, yes, yes. Particularly, you know, Will and Jack. This show could not sneak in through the side door because it was... The first show, to have, uh, the first um, multicam, or really the first TV show, network TV show, to have a gay lead named character. And no right? straight male regulars ever. No straight male regulars. Until we added Harry Connick in season five, right. the show had no straight male characters Crazy. recurring in the cast, which if you think about it, that is the more staggering thing to me, is mm-hmm. yes, it had a gay male lead. It actually, of our cast of four... 50% of them are the characters are gay men. That's pretty astounding right there. But the fact that it wasn't counterweighted with a straighty, yeah. that to me is actually even more surprising. I think if you were going to pitch this show today, you would have to have a straighty in the cast somewhere. 
or you'd have to have like, you know, top of the top. One of the things that I think happens that, that one of the things that I think people didn't really notice is Kimmy Schmidt also didn't have a straight male, white male character. True, in it, right. Yeah. yeah. So you can do it if you're the top of the top. But it was an interesting thing that they were able to pull this up because right. Kuchnikin, um, uh, Kuchnikin not Cohen, Cohen uh, I believe, you know them, obviously. Extremely yeah. Well, best friends, one gay, one straight. Uh, modeled Will and Great Will and Jack a little bit on themselves. Ish. But, I mean, ish. Yep. yeah, a little bit, but, a little bit. I think you know to an extent. I would say Will and Jack were reflections of different parts of each of their personalities, mm-hmm. which I guess is sort of what you said. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say the dynamic between the two of them was like Will and Jack's dynamic, though. Yeah, well, there was always a lot of sexual tension between Will and Jack. Yeah, <laughs> well, big Will they won't they going on there? But you, so I think that's yeah. a, I just think it's an interesting thing in terms of NBC in the in the uh, you know mid nineties, late nineties, yeah. and kind of this Friends offshoot, so to speak. Jeff, you were there for Friends, and Friends is down the middle show, and it did you know start in that I believe it started in the the eight thirty time slot, or was it the nine thirty time slot? It was the nine thirty time. No, Friends slot. started at eight thirty. We were between Mad About You and Seinfeld. So the eight thirty time slot, but yeah. you certainly you certainly had the you know that particular target on you in the beginning, but also that show was pretty you know pretty well figured out from the start. Those six actors you know came to play immediately. Not that the Will and Grace actors didn't. Um, and it sort of gave birth to this idea that you can put these six attractive people together on a show, can deliver a joke, and they can launch a thing. Then they tried a bunch of other things on NBC that didn't work. The irony is the one that did work is the one with the two gay male leads. Yeah. Um, and I think that's interesting. But you guys, what I'm trying to say is you also had a target on you from the beginning. As much as you wanted to go in through the side door, I don't think that was possible for Will and Grace. The ground they were breaking. I do think Will and Grace had a disadvantage that they had, it had to be good from the jump. Or else I do think that the, you know, the Pat Robertsons and the, you know, the uh, Brent Boswells of the world would have tried to take you guys down and succeeded. I think they tried tried anyway. They tried anyway. I think they would have succeeded. Sure. I mean, I think that I'll say this because I'm curious. You brought up something that I think is interesting, too. When you're talking about the time slots, that 930 Thursday time slot was always kind of notoriously shaky. I feel like it never really. Pro- did you guys eventually get 930 on Thursdays or am I, am I misremembering? Did. Okay, friends, friends did. did. Yeah, okay. friends did. Will and Grace. I think when we moved to Thursday, we moved to nine o'clock. By that time, you were we were anchoring. Pole show. Right, 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 right. Yeah, but that nine thirty post Seinfeld slot, that Nine? between Seinfeld and ER slot, you had single guy, you okay. had Caroline in the city, you had shows that tried. I, in the, I think but, you're talking about the eight thirty slot. I think I know nine thirty had Caroline in this had uh, Veronica's closet, which oh, really right. did yeah, because hold, well because they held moved. it down for a long time. Now I'm not saying it wasn't a time slot wonder. Yeah, yeah. I am saying they did get like five seasons there where that number was kind of, that 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 was that solid. slot was yeah. kind of solid. I, I will was, say this: it was the eight thirty that was really messy. Friends was a show that was successfully launched out of the eight thirty Thursday right. time slot. I don't believe any show was successfully launched out of that, that. nine thirty slot because that was. I mean, it was yeah, it was a show that you it was a it was a time slot you really really wanted because you knew you were going to get eyeballs and. Sure. 
you know, obviously because Veronica's Closet came from the producers of Friends, it held on to that time slot for quite some time. Right. Uh, but uh, I don't think NBC was ever able to successfully, you know, till that piece of farmland. Well, because like, so forgive me, but I feel like Frasier was always Tuesdays, right? It never was on Thursdays. No, until they crazy? moved. When Seinfeld... So when Seinfeld, it was Tuesdays, and then when Seinfeld went off the air, there was almost this bake-off to get that slot, and Frasier, of all shows, won it. And part of that was because they had come off of five straight best comedy. Right. Seasons of Emmys, and yeah, sure. So Friends, people thought Friends was going to move from eight to nine, but it didn't. Stayed at eight. Frasier moved to nine, and then it was a similar situation. And then I think Will and Grace moved into eight and friends moved to nine at that point is that right jeff something like that no no no. friends was still the lead off friends stayed so, at eight so, we were at so oh we you were, guys we moved to nine yeah we were right more you were adult. edgy you yeah. were edgy because you had gay people <laughs> yes. you're edgy because yes. you had gay people i so <laughs> and just, friends did not <laughs> did you so i guess my question to rewind back to my original question when did the show start to feel like you know the zeitgeisty thing that it ultimately became for you? Like, when did you sense that happening on the show? Well, I want to talk a little bit about how I came to the show. And, you know, because that might help frame a context for what we're going to talk about. So uh, I was uh, recruited for the show by James Burroughs, who I had a lot of history with. I had done Friends with him. I did a show that I created called Partners with him. Uh, And so he kind of knew me. Uh, and we liked each other. We had a good working relationship. I had recently split up with my writing partner and was a little bit adrift. This would be in the spring of 19, spring and summer of 1998. Okay. And was trying to figure out what my next move was going to be. And Jimmy called me and said, I want you to take a look at this pilot, Will and Grace. They're looking for some help on the writing staff. I watched the pilot. Have you guys seen it? I'm sure I have. It's a very interesting pilot. It's very well written. It is very clear how dialed into their characters these four actors are. And it is also clear, it definitely sows the seeds for the interestingly dysfunctional relationship that Will and Grace have. It doesn't really, in a lot of ways, light the fuse for the series. It just sets up characters. And I remember saying to Jimmy after watching it, I said, it's really funny. And it's, but I said, what's the show? And he said, they're a married couple, but they don't have sex. I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's an interesting spin on romantic comedy. It's a will they or won't they show where they won't Mm -hmm. ever. And so what I feel happening when I look at season one versus season two, which, as I said, spans the period of time that we're discussing. I see a show kind of struggling to find what that center of the show is and what it means. And I remember when I joined the show, I came on, as I said, season uh, one, episode four, I was in there lobbying a lot for like will to have a relationship. This is one of the things I remember really lobbying for in my initial meeting with David and Max. I said, Will is handsome. He's successful. His only problem is that he doesn't have love in his life. So I said, if you don't show him chasing it, then what's what's his character what's his character what's his drive and they said we have to be extremely judicious at how we advance that you know my in-laws at the time had watched the pilot of will and grace and they had no idea will was gay (laughs) 
Because if you look at the pilot, right. he spends a lot of that pilot taking pot shots at the flamboyantly gay character, Jack. Mm-hmm. And you could definitely, were it not for like, I think it's like only one or two lines of dialogue. You could very easily, if you were at the refrigerator, when that line of dialogue happened, right. come away believing that Will and Grace were both straight. Right. And I think that is the sort of Trojan horse way that they snuck this show into America's living rooms was here's this gay guy who's so straight you don't know he's gay. Well, and part yeah. of that is the is the comparison with Jack is the Sean Hayes of it, which I you know I I didn't watch the show until I was a little older. Uh, and by older I mean I didn't watch the show until the show was a little older. Let's put it that yeah. way, right? So I didn't watch the show until uh, season two or season three, and then kind of backfilled and. I didn't realize Jack was in the show until I started watching it. Right. Um, Like I didn't realize because I didn't really know anything about the show. So I didn't know that there was also a Jack and a Karen. And, you know, once you watch that show really is a four hander, Um, but you don't know that before you're watching. So I thought it was, I remember thinking at the time that it was kind of so bold who had not have not one but two gay characters and in retrospect it's pretty to me it's pretty obvious what they were doing they were they were setting the extremity so will would be more palatable exactly and it's the yeah it's fraser and niles right niles mm -hmm. makes fraser seem more normal because niles is more fussy and uptight and a feat than fraser Mm -hmm. is and so by making jack somewhat quote-unquote extreme it yeah. normalizes i don't like any of these adjectives but whatever but, it yeah, makes yeah. will seem more we normal. know that yeah yeah and I, so go ahead also making him career oriented also feels like the, I, i'm speaking to this episode in particular but it feels like it speaks to what you're talking about which is if we need to be judicious about his relationships or his love life we can just focus him on his career that can be his do you know what I mean? Like we well, can I'll say, I'll say another thing about Will and Grace that I think was a little revolutionary because for a year, for years and years and years, there were only really two types of gay men on TV. There were the the you know kind of flamboyant, effeminate uh, type that's you know typified by a Jack, and then there were men who were basically you know characterized like straight men right. who you know, their sexuality, you know, was almost incidental. Will is neither of those people, right? Will, Will's a sexual guy. Will is, you know, you know, kind of very comfortable in gay culture, but he is also very much an alpha and a bit of a shark at work. Yep. Yeah. Um, in, in a, but in a way that isn't presented as this gay guy is going to, you know, take your job, take your money and then, you know, hit on you which i think was a bit of a fear that was kind of presented with another version of gay men forever and ever so i think that that in and of itself was a bit revolutionary this idea that oh wait wait, gays can have (laughs) lawyer jobs and be really good at them too i i i don't believe you (laughs) but uh yeah this is another thing that came up a lot in the writer's room, particularly in conversations with Burroughs. One of the things that he was really steadfast about in the early going in the show is that Will needed to be a gay man with dignity. Because of what you're saying, Kennedy, what are you saying, Kenny, is that like Will needed to be the antidote to all the like prancing, flaming queens that we had seen on TV. He needed to be a guy that you could bring home to mom. 
you know, that a guy who held down a straight job. And also, this was the other thing. And it's one of the ways in which the show is simultaneously utopian and incredibly dated. (laughs) It is a world in which almost, with very, very rare exceptions, there are never any negative consequences for being gay. You know, in Will's workplace, Harlan, the guy that he works with, he occasionally makes a crack about, you know, his awareness that Will is gay, but he's not homophobic. The straight guys in the show are not homophobic. We don't see people, we don't see Will in his workplace with clients or coworkers or whatever, ever denigrated or treated less than because he's gay. He isn't even treated that differently. And that, in 1999, was a fairly revolutionary idea. Uh you know, there's so much talk in the show about gay this and gay that. That is what feels dated to me. The fact that it's normalized is the part that feels weirdly progressive. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it know? feels like it would you just wouldn't shine as bright a light on it today. You yes. know what I mean? Like you would just it would just exist. Well, it would they, just, it be, would just exist. Know. Well, there are a lot of different now. Fortunately, I think we've gotten to the point where we were, you know, there are a multitude of different ways to present this story. Sure. Um, and I think we see we see different ways to present this story these days. These days, what I would say is what will the the service will and grace provided and there is you know tv shows don't have to provide a service but this one happened to was i think it modeled how straight men in society should interact with gay men yes and i think that that is an interesting idea that a guy like harlan you know look you shouldn't be cracking jokes but you certainly should all do business with everybody willingly you know and then hire and fire people based on the merits based on their merits and their ability and i think you're right that it's utopian but my initial response was good because i yeah. do think that that's really helpful at a time of flux and change and learning i think like there's a movie i love it was one of david gordon green's first movies called george washington i think love it was movie. his first yeah. great movie Right. And George Washington is about a group of uh, kids in the South and they're just kind of kids and they're kind of dealing with it. I believe it's three black kids and one white girl and they just hang out and race is not a big part of this movie in any way. And there is an argument that how could it not be a part of their lives and, and a part of this movie? But I do think when this movie was made 20, 25 years ago, there was something nice and refreshing about in this particular movie, in this particular world, to these particular characters, it was not a function of their lives. And we right. saw it through their lens. And I think that, you know, in a giant media landscape, it is cool to have certain things that provide these models for how you would like to see the world. Yeah. I also, to that point, and I think it's worth sort of unpacking for a second about the fact that this show got a revival in 2017, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it says something about America or perhaps a certain demographic. Very successful revival. A very successful, well, yes, for a bit there, and then it stopped being successful. But yes, yes. I I think it's interesting that there was a, 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 group of a demographic a group of people that on broadcast television wanted will and grace back on broadcast tv now i didn't watch the revival so i can't speak to the quality of the revival or to whether or not it updated itself to be more you know appropriate for 2017 in terms of being a little less 
what utopian, just to use the word that you guys used. But I do think it says something that people wanted that itch scratched again, that they wanted these characters back in their lives. It, it, it just considering all the things that we're talking about, how some of the elements of the show are dated. I, I wonder if there's sort of this, like a little bit of a wish fulfillment going on by bringing that show back into people's lives. I see that. Yeah. I, uh, I didn't see the revival either. Um, but I do think these, what happened over time is these characters, we rounded out the edges and found new edges elsewhere. And I think that, you know, that was one of the wonderful, this is the longest job I've ever had. Seven years on a show is the longest job. And in a lot of ways, the best job I've ever had. And, you know, writing the big Russian novel of Will and Grace was a real joy. I mean, I made some two, 200, some, like something like that episodes of this series. And so, I fell in love with these characters as well. And one of the many, many joys of working on this series was finding new ways to shape these characters, giving, sending them on new adventures, and also really delving into and ultimately transcending the inherent dysfunction of that Will and Grace relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not your question, Phil, but I just want to make sure I yeah. say this because it's one of the yeah. things I want to make sure I talked about today. Like that contradiction that lies at the heart of the show, yep. that they're a couple, but they're not. There's also this idea in there that this couple are simultaneously the best thing for each other and the worst like, and I had never seen that specific depiction yeah. of a friendship in a series before. Like, the truth is, Will is the perfect man for Grace. Grace is the perfect man for Will. And unless, and so they're incredibly mission critically important to one another. Mm-hmm. But the series also, over the life of it, we showed that the only way these two could find happiness was actually to create boundaries and outgrow each other. And find love elsewhere and realize that your will and your grace are not the perfect person. You know, I'm really proud of the fact after David and Max left in season four, one of the things we did when I was running the show in season five is Grace got married. She married Harry Connick's character, Mm -hmm. right? At the time, there was an outstanding amount of agita (laughs) about this. Well, you were breaking up the couple. Breaking up the couple. Inside the writer's room, this was very hotly discussed. And of course, out there in the world, this was the early years of the internet. People freaked out. And I definitely saw one or two posts on television without pity about this is what happens when you put a straight guy in charge of Will and Grace. He wrecks the show. But the truth was, these two characters needed to grow, right? They needed, Mm -hmm. you know... Will fell in love. We introduced a great character played by Bobby Cannavale. He was amazing. amazing. And and yet, like, yet another tremendous character. I loved him. Yeah. And so we were able to sort of build out the world of the show while still respecting what people loved about Grace, Will, Jack, and Karen. Karen grew up a little bit. Her yeah. absent husband died and she had to learn a to date. Bit. And yes. And but I also Jack I, I, grew up a little. So I'm, I just want to circle back to what you asked about. Then yeah. I'll stop talking. So people wanted it back, I think, yeah. because unlike in a lot of series, we didn't finish with a wedding or finish with a death or finish with leaving town. Mm. You know, we finished with the idea that these characters story wasn't complete yet. We hadn't realized the unrealized tension. If Will and Grace had ever slept together, you could never bring the show back. <laughs> but right. that would never happen. So I think there was still, like I said, I never saw the revival. I don't know what they did with it. But the series, there was still room the series, for exploration. How did the series end? Forgive me. Because I feel like there was some sort of series a... Proper. 
Sorry? They had the serious yeah, property. I, watched, property. I'm, I feel like I watched it, but I barely remember it. I they believe what happened. something at the top of the revival, and I can't remember what yeah, it was. Yeah, that they had but, kids. You know, what? The, okay. the end of Will and Grace was, as I recall, that Will and Grace had gone through an extended period of estrangement. Uh-huh. That there had been a major breach between them, and they reconnect when their kids are on the same dorm in college. Oh. Okay, and we get the sense, oh, they're going to mend fences, and they're okay. never going to, and okay. and that their kids are a little Willie and Gracie, like the so genius they got rid of, of the, the kids for the revival. Is yes. that what happened? Yes, they did. Good, good for them. They're good I'm for them. All, move. all in yes, favor a of, of a silver red card. I will tell you, I think, I, yeah, I was there when the finale filmed. It's so funny how little of that I remember, but <laughs> they did a scene. Which yeah. at first, it was actually very ingenious because when the scene comes up and you see this young girl who looks a little like Grace and this young man who looks a little like Will meet, you think, is this a flashback? Uh, and then you realize, oh, no, it's a flash forward and these are their children. Oh, that's nice. It's kind of cool. That's it's kind of cool. Like but that. then they had to undo it to do the revival. Well, I so I want to talk for a second about... They had to, about, they had to bring Roseanne back to life for the Roseanne yeah, revival. Just, that's a little but, but like... But you're not a Roseanne, John. You're uh, honing in on something that I think is worth... talking about for a second about will and grace these two characters that are so drastically dissimilar that have a sort of you know uh preston sturges kind of his girl friday banter between the two of them um that there is it's impeccably well cast right these four people and we've talked about this we talked about this when we did friends we've talked about this when we've done basically all the television shows that we've done because they're all great shows the casting of a television show is unbelievably difficult to do, right? And when you when you hit the bullseye, it feels like it's just magic, right? Because it's it's these four people are magical together. And just like the six people on Friends are magical together, there's something just amazing about that. And it's why people want them in their homes every week. It's why they are their friends, no pun intended, where you just you're just like. I want to see my friends every week. And I guess I'm sort of circling this idea of these four actors, I'm assuming worked incredibly well together. I'm sure they were, you know, but, but there's something about, I mean, Kenny and I were talking a little bit about how like Deborah messing as Grace Adler is fucking awesome. I can't say that I love Deborah. (laughs) What was that Kenny? I mean, if if you want to just be, be honest. I mean, she's Grace, super hot. Grace Adler's Grace. the hottest woman in the Grace world. Grace Adler's super hot. <laughs> Grace, like, there's something about Grace Adler that was just the hottest thing I'd ever seen in my life. I don't know. I can't Deborah Messing explain. outside of Grace Adler kind of doesn't really do anything for me. Like, and I don't say that aesthetically. I just mean it's like she like, embodies that's Grace the, Adler. I think that, I and mean, look, this is dicey conversation, but that's the whole point of it. Obviously, it's not aesthetic. It's the same person. Right. So, exactly. <laughs> like, that's the There's something point. about her There's embodiment about- of, the, of Grace that's just next level. And I think that all of them, I mean, they've all had careers outside of this. Megan Mullally, who I adore and love yeah. in everything, anything she does. So she's a chameleon in a way that I just, I think is just, unbelievable um and eric mccormick has had a you know long career of his own and sean hayes they've all done things outside these realms but i just she's just so fully embodies that for me yeah i mean i love all four of them it was a tremendous work experience for me which i can talk more about if you want but like they were it was an incredibly happy set and a really good group of people and a tight-knit writing staff and i mean why did i stay so long because it was a tremendous tremendous job in every respect and it's rare (laughs) 
Yeah, it's very rare. It's very rare. Once, once we figured it out, and again, it's so interesting going back and revisiting the time period that we're talking about. It is when we were figuring it out. Uh, but once the staff was dialed in, once we began to understand exactly what this machine could do, mm-hmm. they were, I mean, I remember them, there was a cover story in Rolling Stone about Seinfeld where they had a picture of the four of them in silhouette, like the uh, Beatles yes, album. Yes, cover, yes, I remember that. Yep. And it said the Beatles of comedy. I really felt that is what we had on Will and Grace. We had four extraordinary players. Yep. But unlike Seinfeld, where you could kind of take Julia Louis-Dreyfus out and find a way to build a vehicle for her. I think the best possible vehicle for these four actors was that band. Yeah. It's no lack of respect for any of their talents, yeah. but none of them to me has ever been as exciting or as sexy or as unpredictable or as chameleonic as they were inside this show. And I, and that's just, that's magic. It's the magic of chemistry. It's the magic of, uh, you know, ideally it's the magic of a smart writing staff. Well, it's how to tune the characters to the actors and is constantly trying stuff. And it's also the magic of a small cast. You know, the big difference between writing friends, which I also enjoyed a lot and writing will and grace, will and grace was so simple. You only have four mouths to feed. You only have typically an A story and a B story. You only have seven or eight scenes. And so you really had time to dig in. And there were no bad combos. Will and Karen. There were no bad combos. Grace and Jack was hilarious. No matter how you paired them up, something exciting would happen. One of the lessons we learned during this time period is don't let the show become Will and Grace in the grounded, unfunny A story and Jack and Karen in the helium-filled, zany B story. That's the most boring combo well, of all. You want to mix them up. Sometimes you would do that. I mean, you do it often. Yeah. Where and, and part of what I love about this show is that there's no, um, there's, there, there, there's no stick in the mud. There's no moral, boring, miserable fuck with with the stick up their ass telling you the way it's supposed to be the way it is. They're all they're all fun. They're all a little selfish. They're all like they're all silly. They obviously care about each other to varying degrees. Uh, I think that I, I I think you're totally right that you got the exact right actors. I think it's obvious. That this is a testament to the writing. These characters, these actors, del- knew how to deliver your lines, but the lines were so funny and smart, and most importantly, so specific to the characters delivering them. Yep. You know, th- there was no situation where a Jack joke could be a Grace joke right. or a Will joke could be a Karen joke. They delivered the jokes they delivered, and then the the other thing, because I also want to say the same thing about Megan Mullally, which is like Megan Mullally and Deborah Messing are obviously beautiful women, but they really understood that these characters were supposed to be sexy and they were really, really sexy. Like yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Which I is not really a normal, struck, like it's yeah, not a normal yeah. multicam thing. Yeah. Multicams usually don't have very sexy characters, very sexy uh, female leads like that. They're usually like beautiful or cute. Like I love Jennifer. Yeah. And I yeah. love Jennifer Aniston and I think she's gorgeous. Never sexy in that show. Right. That wasn't the vibe. The, but these two characters were so sexy because these actresses were so fucking brilliant. 
So I, guys, I need to hit pause real quick because my earphones died. I need to switch my earphones. Just give me one okay. second. No problem. I'm sorry about that. My That's fine. I, I mean, I got a brilliant observation right here in the on deck circle. Save it. So ready. Phil just got <laughs> Phil just got a, a, I think that with all my sexy talk, I blew out his ear. You blew up my earphones. Yeah. Hold on a second. Uh, okay, please continue your sexy talk. Uh, all right. Kenny just said, yes, they were very safe. I think also there is something this just occurred to me as you were saying that there are no straight men on the show <laughs> as a counterweight. So female sexuality is very forward on this. Yes. Show. You know, we are not playing romantic comedy. There is nowhere for that sexual energy to That's go. So interesting. And so I You're was right. Really that is a brilliant reading. observation. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, um, I was really struck rewatching the show mm. how, yeah, that t- Megan, my God, she is just, I mean, just exudes. I always just, thought that it's crazy. It is crazy. And it isn't just her great body. It is just the, the way in which she devours the world. You know, Megan said something amazing to me once. It was, it was always striking to me that Karen on paper is the most horrible character ever devised horrible person. okay <laughs> horrible person. she is so racist and so materialistic mm-hmm. and so utterly broken and so and and i remember asking megan once after a filming of will and grace where we had put megan through some particularly <laughs> odious changes <laughs> i said i cannot believe how much they love her and she said to me she said the secret is the joy she said uh. karen loves being karen And I thought that that was such an ingenious observation because so so many characters secretly want to be somebody else or something that they're not. You know, the essence of character in a lot of ways is I want to be something I'm not. I want to be more successful. I want to be hotter. I want to be whatever. And Karen loves being Karen. Yep. And that utter inhabiting of her body and her privilege and all the other things she inhabits makes her like just... I don't know. Unbelievably attractive. And the uh, yes, and you know, she really had to be to sell this character. Like, I think that, you know, look, I think some people, when they talk about uh, television and movies and, and media in general, try to downplay the importance of sex and sexual attractiveness uh, when it comes to a character. But her story, her, her ongoing story is that Stan is willing to go bankrupt for her. This billionaire is willing is willing to lose it all for her, which like you kind of have to believe, despite the fact that she is not Cindy Crawford, and she sells it because I just there I I I get that like I'd give it all up for her. There is something about there is something about her there's a je ne sais quoi Mm -hmm. about her and Grace by the way, where it's just like yes to be in the presence of that every day would be a life worth living. I get it. I think there's also, you know, you talked about the joy, Jeff. I I also just love when she cracks herself up. Like I feel like so much of it for her is laughing at her own jokes. (laughs) Like, yeah, uh, it's, she really is just so pleased with herself. There was a period of time. I'd say a long period of time where she was the funniest character on television. I agree with you. Yeah. 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 I she know. Just, I, he, yeah, 
Yeah. She was the, she was the, to me, Seinfeld, she was the George where like it, it, in the beginning of Seinfeld, people kind of were like, look at Kramer. We've never seen anyone like Kramer before. Right. And I think Jack was a little bit like that. I was which is like, say, Jack's which is Kramer, true. Right. We've never seen anything like Jack before, which makes me think Jack was probably easy to write because you had nothing but white space. Whereas Karen, the, you know, trophy wife, materialistic woman, like we've done 10 movies like that, Phil. That's Meryl Streep and fucking She Devil. Yeah. So we, like, we, 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 you've seen that archetype. You're looking for cracks and crevices, and it was a little hard. Just like with George. George is an archetype we've seen so many times that the specificity of that character made him so fucking funny. Karen is so funny. I, I, that to me, more than anything, she's the reason I watched the show. Uh, I couldn't believe how fucking like bold yeah. the writing was with that character. Yeah, she's, she's yeah, she's. Yeah, well, I would also just say too. Like, did you say she's musical or hysterical? I was because I was going to miracle, but she I thought miracle. She's a miracle. But I, I, there is something musical about her too. Like, there well, is yeah. something sort of mellifluous about the way that she says things. To your point about like these odious words coming out of her mouth, but they sound like music out of this person. I I really do think that she is, I mean, obviously Megan has gone on to do all sorts of things that I think, I mean, are amazing. She is tremendous, but this role is really sort of lightning in a bottle. I mean, I was texting with Kenny as I was watching this episode and I need to be, you know, full disclosure at, you know, that the fucking hour point, but full disclosure, uh, I'm not the, biggest will and grace fan in the world i don't say that in in a in a in a in a a shitty way i think it was more about when it was on and where i was in my life so you know we're talking i'm in university at the time i'm not really watching a a ton of television and i'm certainly not watching uh you know it's just not really my thing um so all that being said my parents loved it. And I don't say that in a denigrating fashion. They loved it. And I remember whenever I was home or whatever, they were watching it. And it it was a very funny show, but it was also very broad. And I want to kind of ask you about the multicam broad thing, because I think there's something I, I do think that it's part of Kenny and I were texting about like, why is the multicam comedy, quote unquote, dead? And I, I you know, obviously, Chuck Lorre is still cashing checks but i do wonder how you approach a show like this where like if you're not careful you're gonna tip over into just like full-on cartoon characters right like well i this was another thing that came out to me in rewatching season one versus mm-hmm. season two mm-hmm. there's a very interesting sort of maturation that happens between season one and season two i actually found season one kind of hard to watch <laughs> and <laughs> Because the show has no grounding. I mean, in its early going, it's a joke dispenser. And the jokes are very, very good. But not only do the characters not seem to care about anything, they seem to openly mock the idea of caring about anything. And you exit episodes sometimes just feeling worn out. Like there was no break there to breathe. What did I just watch? Like, what was it about ultimately? And I'm not saying this is just me because it was a very smart writing staff, okay? But what starts to come on in season two is what these four care about. Even a character is, you know, apparently nihilistic as Karen. We start to understand she sincerely loves her husband. She really does. does. She loves her maid. She goes to (laughs) extraordinary lengths to keep her maid from being deported. She, you know, she's a very loyal friend. Mm -hmm. And 
She stands up for Grace. She stands up for Jack, you know? And so we start in a really, I promise I'm going to get to the answer to your question. Yeah, I know. I believe you. Um, I find there is nothing wrong with broadness, okay? Mm-hmm. If it's in the service of a story that is grounded in something, right. you know, you can go anywhere if right. ultimately the underlayment is sound, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think the multi-camera is dead. Otherwise, no one would be watching Friends right now. I mean, the medium has I not changed. I, I, you know? I fully agree with you. I think what Kenny and I were sort of talking about was the the freedom that a multicam affords you as a writer and as an actor is, it seems intoxicating to me. And I'm surprised that as a medium currently right now, we're not seeing it a ton on broadcast well, television. I mean, a- I think that. I, and I don't say that in a bad prophecy. way. But, you know, no, it's yeah. a self-fulfilling prophecy because honestly, and yeah. I'm not saying this in any sort of yeah. judgmental way, it's because yeah. guys like you and Kenny don't want to write them. I Kenny swear wants to, to God. Write them. Not Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just what? think, you know, there was a lot of discussion this past right. season about Abbott Elementary. Okay. Great Abbott show. Elementary, Great very show. nice show. Yeah. Very nice show. Oh my God, what a miracle. Oh my God, could multi-camera be back? The truth is, the creator single, of Abbott, yeah. yeah, okay, but the the truth is, the creator of Abbott Elementary wanted to do a sitcom. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Wanted to do a network sitcom. Yeah. When I was coming up in the business, okay, doing Friends and doing Will and Grace, there was no better place to be. Not just from the standpoint of employability, okay. They were the most watched shows on television. They held network schedules together. We were this priesthood of sorts and, and so they make a shit ton of money the overhead's really low they make yeah. a shit Why? ton of money the net the overhead's low and yeah. they're fun to work on they're yep. fun to make because unlike a single camera half hour okay you get to go to a show tuesday night and see 400 people laugh it's at theater. what you did yeah, it's theater every week it yeah. is theater and that is one of the many reasons this is the best job i'll ever have look i've worked on a lot of darker more interesting more nuanced shows than this but yeah. That Tuesday night made a lot of hard rewrite nights worthwhile. You know, it was like the tide coming in. Kenny, what were you going to say? I, well, I mean, the, the, I came out here expecting to write a multicams, right? So this is, you know, this is very much what I want to do and still want to do. And I think, you know, my career goal, and I think Phil knows this, is to sell network shows. I and 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 part of the or make really make network shows, run network shows. And the reason I'm drawn to network shows is because of the restraints, is because of the act yeah. breaks, is Kenny because loves, of the sta- Kenny loves a box. Well, yes, I'm with be- you. because of the standards and practices, because of, you know, you're you are playing to, you know, you're, you're playing to this demo or you're playing to that demo. The, I, I know that for a, I know this is anathema for a lot of people. And I, I, I say this like, you know, I, I tiptoe into this a little bit. A lot of people not in the industry. I think, um, look at this and they're like, what are you thinking? You know, shouldn't you want the most freedom possible? And my feeling has always been more freedom uh, very often. And having worked on mostly shows where we've been able to say whatever we want, whatever we want, however we want, some shows where we wouldn't even get notes. Mm-hmm. It tends to push you into, into places that, you know, are more sensational. And are more, uh, you know, more more fucks for the sake of fucks and shits yeah. for the sake of shits and murder for the sake of murder and all that stuff because you because you can. It's like that great Julia Life, Julia Louis Dreyfus joke from Curb. I want to be an HBO because I want to say fuck. Well, okay, we can do better than that. So 
to, to take it a step further, I love multicams because multicams are even more rigid. Yeah. Multicams are even more confined. You are all to me, all this tough stuff, all the stuff that, that I find very like kind of boring and not creative and really like ruin my mind are taken care of. I know where we're going to, I know where the sets are. You know what I mean? I know where the sets are. I know where the camera set, setups are going to be. I know yeah. where the lighting is, all this stuff. I know where the act breaks are. I know a lot of stuff. Now, my job is to fill these three acts with really great story. And I yeah. love that plan. I want to say, I want to say something that I think also taps into, into this. And it's kind of what you were saying, Jeff, about how, you know, Kenny and I, don't quote unquote don't want to make shows like this. And I do think that this this really speaks to sort of the industry that we're in right now, the landscape that we're in right now, which is broadcast isn't cool, quote unquote. Right. Well, I don't care about so that. You I, know, I know you don't. Yeah. And you obviously doesn't you care are, about being cool. It's Kennedy Nybart. But I, I don't say that with no I don't say that that's my favorite part about me. Yeah. But, yeah. but you, you, you obviously don't either, Phil. No, 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 no. Obviously yeah. I no. no, not about being cool, but about broadcast. No, you know, for sure. You currently have a show on I a broadcast thing. I like... a piece of development of broadcast. And, but, yeah. I, but this speaks to sort of a, a greater thing that I kind of wanted to talk about. Because Kenny and I were talking a little bit the other day about, uh, about the USA Network and how they had a fucking great thing going for oh, like a yeah. decade, right? But it wasn't cool to talk about at parties, as Kenny said, which I completely agree with. And then they were like, you know what, Mr. Robot, that, that, that's where we're going. We're going to chase Emmys. And it was, it's just, we've watched them literally disappear from, from the zeitgeist. Now they have one scripted show and it's Chucky. So like <laughs> they're, they're done and they, they dug their own grave, but I will, I, I do want to, I had a better, I had a bigger point when I was going okay, on my multi camera riff, riff and why this is happening. <laughs> and to some extent there, cause we talked about this before and we were talking about more broadly in terms of broadcast, but in terms of yeah. you know, multicam, when you're talking about, Abbott Elementary, Quinta Brunson wanted to do a network show. True. Yep. If to, you know, Phil's point, if Jen Satsky came to NBC tomorrow and said, I want to do a multicam, they'll make whatever it is. Yeah. They'll, they'll certainly give it a fucking pilot, right? They're going <laughs> to yeah. give it a shot. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The reason I'm not going to pitch any multicams is because they only put two or three in the air a year and they're reserved for people who aren't me. And I have to, you know, I, I, I have to. Right. I have to make a living and I have to I have a career here. And that's why I write on, you know, 
teen soaps for 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 new new streaming networks. (laughs) But that's where I wind up. I do think that. I mean, I, I. I agree with what Kenny's saying. I don't mean to 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 cut you off, Jeff, because you you wanted to say something. Um, but I do just feel like it's getting narrower and narrower. They make fewer and fewer broadcast shows. We're obviously living in this kind of purgatorial space right now, where it's like, what is cable? What is broadcast? What is streaming? Totally get all of that. Um, but I think that what's special about uh, about a multicam is everything you were talking about, Jeff, the theatricality of it, the specialness of sort of that crackle, um, that, that doing a, a, a live showing of, of it and then the, being like, oh, we need to punch up this joke or this isn't the, working. And the on the flyness of it, that's got to feel really special. That has to be really exciting. The best part about a multicam is the artifice. That's my yeah. favorite part about it. Yeah. 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 Never seeing the fourth wall of that room, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> The thing is, though, unfortunately, I think, sadly, Hmm. what's been lost is there is no school to teach this anymore. You know, the Hmm. thing is that when I I was coming up in the business, right, Friends was a great writer school for multi-camera writers. Frasier was a great writer school, you know, um, you know, uh, all these like all those NBC must see TV comedies were great schools. Will and Grace would, was a pretty good school. Broadcast across the board. Broadcast across the board. So you there was a farm system, okay, where you could start out as a story editor on maybe a B grade show like Suddenly Susan. And then maybe if you were lucky, you'd make the jump to Caroline in the City. And then if you were really good, you'd make the jump to Frasier. And then all of a sudden you were doing more advanced writing. And then maybe you were in a position by the time you had been at it for five years or so, you learned a lot about show running, a lot about just the craft of like running a set, editing an episode, talking to actors, all the things you need to learn. And then you were finally in a position to go into a network who was hungry to hear from you and pitch your own show and get it on the air. It was a wonderful system with this built-in minor league where people could learn and grow. That is gone. The lessons- that's that's indicative of you know smaller orders, so smaller oh, rooms, all, all that stuff. So well, we're in this it, situation where no one's learning the nuts and bolts of how to do this. That's right. It, yeah. Listen, that's true. You're right. That's true across the board. Yeah. But also the um, the system is no longer oriented toward multicam. It is no longer the building block of a network schedule, right. Right. and so it's not a priority. And so you know, so that entire thing has been wiped out. And the skill set that you learn. Let's say you're a writer on Abbott Elementary. Okay, as a show, show I really like. That skill set is in no way transferable to creating or running a multicam at all. Well, that's true. Yeah. The thing about multicam, the other part that's so great, in addition to the theatricality and the restrictions, is one of the things that you notice when you look at a Will and Grace episode is every joke, every single joke is polished. Every single line is white hot. We were one of the things I really credit David and Max for is any flat spot we would fix or cut because Will and Grace episodes had a running time of 21 minutes and 19 seconds. We would sometimes go seven or eight minutes over, which means in editing, you are cutting a third of your show. So you're moving all the funny parts closer together. So by the time it gets to air. You can't even catch your breath. It's so funny. Well, that's true for Will and Grace. That was always a thing with it for me. There was that it was a little overwhelming. And I mean that, but I mean that in a good way. Like that's, you know, that's how I felt with 30 Rock, where I mean, sometimes after 30 Rock, I'd be crying because it was so 
the laughing was so powerful. Like right. there's, it's just a different level. And then the reverse was equally true. Like when we did an emotional scene and we did more and more of them as the series wore on. You have one of the episodes we watched. Yeah, there was an episode that we did where Will and Grace have the biggest fight of their lives. Mm -hmm. And Will talks about how Grace has let him down in the time that they've known each other. You have let me down over and over again. And he cites example after example, like bludgeoning her with this. And he says... You know, at my law school graduation reception, they had a cake for me because I made law review. You know, you didn't you didn't show up. You flaked out. You know, that was a really big deal. You know, they had a cake for me. And Grace says it was carrot cake. That's never a big deal. Now, that now, listen, that's a B minus joke. But after a page of argument with these characters butting heads, it's it was a showstopper. So like the dramatic moments could, you know, could feed the comedic moments in this beautiful way. And so just it became a more and more like finely tuned machine. You guys also like, all right. So that joke you says is a B minus to me. That's like a fucking A plus plus. Yeah, I thought it was a good joke. You guys, you guys play to the top of your intelligence. You let your characters be, if not like book smart, just the smartest conversationalists in any room like that is so clever it was like the thing about grace was that she wasn't that smart in this crew you know and in any other crew she like she was to me like she always had great by mods and all that stuff but to me it was always she was four out of four in terms of like who could who could deliver the or who who was the who was the smartest but that's that's the thing about jack too which is that you think he's well, Jack's really, so silly, he's really smart, but he's too. really fucking smart. They're just so yeah. observational. It's character that's never been. Well, I never thought of that before, but of course I want to get you carrot cake if I cared about you. I'm going to get you a good cake. <laughs> it's good. It's a good you know, joke. I will say one other thing while, while we're complimenting Deborah Messing, there was one other thing that I oh. so, so appreciated. The genius Deborah Messing. When we made fun of her small breasts or her odd little nose, which looked like she had had a nose job, even though she swore she never did, or her big smelly feet, or the fact that her hair was not quite red and not quite orange. When we made fun of these, we made her super Jewy too, which was another Mm -hmm. thing. We went right at just completely disassembling this poor woman. Deborah loved that. The harder we were on Grace, the more we made fun of Grace, the more she was like, bring it on. She was never precious. And you can tell. I think this is one of the things you're reacting to, Kenny, is how game she is. Mm -hmm. Like, never, ever said, I don't know if Grace would do that. I've never heard her say that. Or I, I don't know how I feel about you making fun of that. You're part making of Kenny my fall body. so much more in love with Grace I know. Adler. Though. Well, that's what I was going to say. I'm like, I think this is in this probably says a lot more about me than it does about you or Deborah Messing <laughs> or Grace Adler. But what you're describing, I mean, I, I distinctly remember how many jokes there were about her small breasts. Like distinctly yeah. remember that being a running thing throughout the we show. We did a whole episode about and, it. And, yeah. and yeah, over and over again. And like thinking like the fact that she is aware of it and owns it makes her so much hotter. And yeah. like I it's like it was it is this it is like when it comes down to it, it really is all self-confidence and like a, a certain measure of like understanding. And that's what she imbued into grace. It's a really hard thing to do because well, I'm trying to I'm trying to word this correctly, but actors I think 
generally come from two places. One is that I'm only going to play the coolest guys in the world. And the other one is I'm really going to be, you know, a very vulnerable emotional actor. And she somehow did both of those things with yeah. this character. Yeah. You yeah. know, like she's super confident and also super vulnerable. And I'm very impressed with that performance. I, 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 I and again, like Rachel Green is like, you know, my goddess. And I think she <laughs> kind of runs circles around her, um, you know, to some extent. I, I want to talk just very quickly about uh, episode 205. Um, okay. Which is um, Hulk <laughs> defeats Truman. Uh, first, by the way, I want to say this is the first solo writing credit I ever had. Keep going. Nice. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Okay. Uh, so it was written by our guest today, Jeff Greenstein, um, directed by James Burroughs. Uh, it aired on November 23rd, right in the middle of November sweeps. Yeah. Uh, November 23rd, 1999. It had, as we mentioned, 12.41 million viewers. Uh, The synopsis to this episode very quickly is Will's ego inflates after closing a major deal for Harlan, and he decides to focus solely on the millionaire's business by dumping all of the smaller clients who supported him when he first became a lawyer. But Will gets a harsh lesson when Harlan decides to fire him, leaving the lawyer without any prospects. Stan puts Karen on a budget to stop her wild spending, and she becomes terrified when Grace takes takes her to an outlet mall to teach her how to shop smarter. Uh, I mean, the outlet mall stuff is unbelievable. Harlan I mean, showing God. up the outlet mall is absolutely killing it, and and just ending with the the chopper will be here in five minutes. <laughs> it's just is is tremendous. Uh, but I but to, to focus on the A story for for a second, it's it is an emotional storyline. Um, insofar as that Grace is uh, just deeply disappointed in Will, um, and that disappointment really kind of fuels most of the episode quite honestly and then on top of it you have sort of um the episode is about wealth to some degree or another it's about grace kind of trying to get karen on a budget as we mentioned but then also like looking at her own finances and like grace freaking out because karen decided to cash all of her paychecks all at once so she's basically bankrupted uh grace in the process um so like there's just but but it is about how will the kind of puffed upness that he gets out of this success that he thinks he has as short-lived as it is all of it is sort of about that it, it, it is dicey material in the sense of dealing with kind of you know the caste system to some degree or another and i'm sort of wondering how you how you approach this did you approach it from a thesis statement like what i want to say about the episode how did you well do you remember even writing this i remember all this i do as i said this was a big thing for me because as i had broken up with my writing partner of 13 years and i had consulted on the show i'd done like three days a week on the show Mm -hmm. during season one but i'd never written a script I had plenty of jokes in episodes and in broken stories and stuff, but this was my first time sitting down sure. to write a script by myself. So I remember all of this. <laughs> I, I hate to tell you, the starting point for this episode was I was really sick of this Harlan character. <laughs> okay. I was like, this guy was in the head credits of the episode, yeah. like alongside Deborah and, and you know, it's like, what the hell are we doing? What is this? Yeah. And as a Southerner myself, I was like, this is just a lot of like Texas millionaire jokes. It feels like something from like a Green Acres episode, like this drawling industrialist who's Will's client. So like I, it started for me with like, I am just tired of this after a season with this guy. I just think it's tiresome. Yeah. I also found Will's law office to be an exceedingly boring place. 
Just like, I think when they devised the show, they're like, oh, he's a lawyer. Anyone can walk in. Mm -hmm. But the problem is he's a corporate lawyer. So it's not like he's a divorce lawyer or Or a a small or a fucking DA or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or or a criminal lawyer. Yeah. Like he's got the most boring kind of law. So it just meant. So I was like, I remember in the story breaking process, I was lobbying hard for like, let's get rid of Harlan and let's get rid of that office. Mm. And let's maybe lay Will low for a while. Like, let's. Let's take off of the fact that Will seems like a pretty arrogant guy who's, as I said, the only part of his life that, you know, really works is his career. Yep. And he's super successful at it. So let's cut the legs out from under of him. And we had this kind of long-term plan to join a law firm, which he is later in the season. is the senior partner. It became a very interesting place to be, actually, for a couple of seasons. So that turned out to be good. But it was just like, let's get out of that law office. And so immediately it was like, okay, how do we do that? And, you know, you mentioned this lovely linkage, which we very rarely had between A story and B story, in that both stories are about money. And we thought, well, that's a nice thing, having A and B both be about money and Will being very pumped up and arrogant about like, you know, I got to throw all these small clients overboard so I can service the guy who really, you know, butters my bread. And then meanwhile, Karen on a budget. And it gave us the opportunity to say something that had been glancingly mentioned that Grace writes Karen checks, but she never cashes them. And so, you know, because, you know, did you say like that was the deal? I would give you the checks, but you'd never cash. You'd never cash them. (laughs) You know, and the idea was, again, when Max and David pitched the show, why is Karen working for Grace? Well, I guess the idea was that she's trying to to keep keep it real. Like Mm. she needs some connection to the little people. So Mm -hmm. she goes and works for for an interior designer. I don't quite understand that rationale, but maybe that's as real as Karen can stand. (laughs) So we're like, okay, what if? She cashes all the checks at once. That bankrupts Grace. That was a really funny way in. And like, again, Karen, the ultimate expression of privilege. What if she was forced to kind of knuckle down and have a budget? And that led to, as you said, one of our funniest sequences, which is her at this outlet mall, afraid to touch polyester. She's a where it'll cut her finger. (laughs) I, I mean, I do feel like, you know, watching, I've, I have not watched an episode of Will and Grace in a very long time. So watching this episode I, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't a little jarring and I don't, I, I just, in the sense, like it's, it's a lot, right? Like it's everyone, assaulted. it's a very, well, it's yes. not just very, it's a very theatrical show. That's not yeah. a knock against it, but these are all people that are dialed pretty high up, especially Jack and Karen, obviously in particular. But I, I was, I was really pleasantly surprised by the heart of it. Not to say that the show didn't have heart, but like that the will and grace storyline really is about, grace outside of grace trying to figure out how to actually deliver a joke but also reconnecting with her friend her friend being brought back down to to earth and 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 their sort of their love for each other really does feel like kind of the 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 pulse of this episode anyway yeah i i I found the level of abrasiveness of will to be at about 250 whereas maybe like 100 would have done he's so obnoxious oh, it's a real episode. prick in this episode that's, yeah, that's, he's, he's, that's what i like it, about him yeah i mean but it, no really even, that he always is like that to me it's always it always like to all right this motherfucker's name is will truman yeah. like you may as well name him you know the best moralist <laughs> who's ever lived in the world right and he's eric mccormick 
who who screams like just integrity there's just he just face just looks like he's just got integrity like so much and every you can put him on the west wing you're right he's got that hundred percent he would have been great on that by the way i love eric mccormick mccormick too and i love him particularly in this episode and i love how fucking selfish and full of himself will is (laughs) like it's so it's just that's what i that was my first thing with the show is like they make to me they make the seinfeld characters look like humanitarians (laughs) (laughs) yes and they do they do because the seinfeld the thing about the seinfeld characters is they have a code the whole show is about a code right yeah will and grace no one has a code on the show it's like they don't really have codes like it's just they're they're and, and in a way they remind me a lot of like myself in that like sometimes you even get and phil you'll get this from being my friend you get lost in your own logic of an argument and sometimes it just becomes about being the funniest and the best and having the best line in the moment and that's these characters to me these characters like really do live in the moment they're very self-protective they're very selfish like i think what will the way will acts in this episode if someone else acted and acted the way he acted in this episode he'd be like can you fucking believe that guy but it's him and i think that's really cool i love like the hypocrisy on front street i it, it rings very true to me um and i i think, I this, is, question? I think this is instructive for how you should be writing comedic characters Kenny, all my favorite shows are like this. who yes. who do you think of the four leads has the most moral code or, or has the most morals um well because <laughs> <laughs> like, i think it might be grace Will or Grace, but I think it's Will. I think as you get further, you might be right. I think you Grace is. Right. I think Grace is an exceedingly shallow and selfish character, but uh, I think it's Will ultimately. But I don't think Will is some kind of like boring moralist stick in the mud. I think he, he's fun too. Like they, they're they're just all they're all fun. Like there's no like like again, not to keep comparing it to Friends, a show that anyone who can listen to our Friends episode knows that I love. Uh, but there's no Ross, right? There's no one whose joke whose whose joke is I'm put upon. My wife left me for a woman. My life is really kind of a bummer, even though sure. you know I'm this good looking guy who Rachel's in love with. Like, and all of his jokes kind of come from this underdog kind of place. None of these characters like do that. They're just constantly topping each other, sure. constantly chopping each other. And the thing that's great about Jake's, I mean Jake's, about Grace's. I can't tell the joke thing in this episode yeah. is that it actually kind of is an existential crisis for her. If you can't tell a joke in <laughs> this is. group of people, yeah. right. you might yep. get kicked out 100%. of this group of people. And you sense that you really do. I, I mean, I, I think that this episode does a lot of really great stuff in terms of everyone. I mean, and I assume that this is the case with any episode of this show, but everyone's getting an opportunity to shine. Everyone's mm-hmm. getting an opportunity to sort of to, to, to show what they're bringing to the table. What, and I'm, I, my assumption is it's the same thing with, with when you were on friends or, or probably any multicam for that matter, where like everyone needs to get their moment to, to, you know, show everyone why they're special. Um, and, and I think that that's, I think that's on display here, but not in a flagrant way. I don't feel like, you know, it's, it's, it's showy in that way, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that, that the, 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 the mall scene probably jumps out at me the most in terms of just 
the most kind of Karen so just in the pocket in that whole portion. Uh, it's 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 really pretty spectacular. But uh, I so there was a couple things that I learned I as I was what, doing. It. I oh. wonder what it's like to be the best and funniest. Actor. <laughs> yeah, like because when you say Karen's in the pocket, every she for for what this show did. 10 seasons, Jeff, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Every episode, she's like this. And then everything I've ever seen her in. Yeah. Outside of this, she's like this. She's just, she's, she's a, she's a baseball player who is never. Yeah. I I remember during, I remember during season five, there was a point where uh, I went up to Megan after a run through and I said to her, you know, I had to remind her that the fact that she wasn't getting notes from me was an indication that she's perfect. She was just killing it. it, Everyone else gets notes, gets thoughts, gets adjustments, gets discussion. And meanwhile, Karen is off in the corner. You know, Megan is off in the corner, just being a total stud. And she will do it perfectly the same time, five five times in a row, if you want, same way five times in a row, Mm -hmm. or she will give you five different colors so that you get in editing. You don't even, you have a dizzying array of choices, each of which is an A plus. Yep. Yep. And, and we never did this on the show. She has an unbelievable singing voice. I mean, she was on, she never sang on the show. No, she never sang on the show. As a matter of fact, there was a point where we had Karen at a piano. I think Grace threw a piano party or something. And we had written a scene where Karen sings. Yeah. And Megan was like, I don't know how to do that because Karen, right? Does What's Karen Karen's have my, what is yeah. Karen's voice? You That's know, funny. Karen, yeah. like, can Karen even sing? And so we ended up cutting the whole thing because like, we didn't want to have to like make Megan back foot it somehow. That's she has funny. an incredible, you know, she was in how to succeed on Broadway. She has an right. outstanding singing voice. So like, there's nothing this woman can't do. I do. I love all four of them. I love all my children equally. But mm-hmm. when you say Kenny, she is the single most gifted comedic actor. I mean, she is. She, she is. is. I, she is one of those people. And I'm sure Kenny, you have a list of them as well, but she's one of those people that like, I just, she just, the look of her is funny. Like just merely seeing her walk into a scene immediately. I'm laughing. I mean, her, her whole, you know, she only did a handful of episodes on parks and rec, but she's unbelievable on parks and rec. Um, But yet there's just something incredibly funny about her. One other thing that I wanted to just briefly talk about. So this show uh, filmed in front of a live studio audience on Tuesday nights, stage 17 CBS studio center. I don't know if you're like me, Kenny. There's is something that, about those. Is that plaques. Beverly? Is that Beverly Boulevard? Is that no, no, no? Well, that's Radford. You know, that's not going to be CBS soon. I know. Well, it's just going to be Radford, which is fine. What, I know. <laughs> what I was going to say, though, is those plaques that they have next to the stages where you get to see all the shows that oh, were yeah. there. There's something so fucking awesome about that. Oh, like, yeah. I just it just seeing them etched into history um so you know 10 years at cbs radford i have only 17 i have only worked on a lot for one season of one show and it is it is it it feels like a cruel twist of faith that a fate that i have not done it more because walking those lots and looking at those blacks and being like oh my god the godfather films right here like that's crazy it's crazy when i think about my favorite shows being on these you know there's something so i don't know anyone any one of our listeners who's been on one of these uh lots where you see just these giant 
boring, faceless blocks of stages that just don't ultimately feel like anything. And then you see on a plaque <laughs> just just fucking TV history yeah. that was recorded yeah. inside TV this space. And, and movies, you know, it's and it's always fun to see like, like on the waterfront film on the same stage as my two dads. Yeah, it's, just <laughs> it's just the best. It's the best. Yeah. Well, um, I, I need to Something just was brought to my attention, Kenny, that is completely off topic, but I have to bring it to Kenny's attention. And Jeff, obviously, I want to hear your thoughts, too. Someone just sent me a tweet that says that Lady Gaga is in early talks to play Harley Quinn opposite Joaquin Phoenix in the Joker sequel, which is going to be potentially a musical. And I've got Kenny on mic right now. I feel like I, I, not to put you on the spot, but I gotta ask Kenny, what are your thoughts on this? All right. Obviously, I have thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah, that's what I just assumed. In a, these are, in these a, like all your hot buttons in a vacuum. Yeah. Could be great, right? Sounds like the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> in, a va- in a vacuum. Yes. And uh, that's, that's, it sounds, it's, it, it, it sounds truly incredible, but there is an episode. Of our show, uh-huh. where I basically talk about let's give the, the Joker the benefit, the benefit of, the of the doubt. doubt. Yep. So I'm not going to do the same thing again. Right. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to because we did one on the trailer. That's the trailer for the Joker, and it was yeah. just like, look, and 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 Star is Born was a reference point. It was this idea mm-hmm. of like there are these things that come out. Star is Born, Social sure. Network, Titanic that get kind of pre-hate and wind yes. up being my favorite shit. Yeah. So and, and America's favorite shit. Sure. Like, I mean, truly, like those three things were just despised before they came out. And then people saw it and go, oh, yep. my God, Fincher did it. Oh, my God, Cameron yep. did it. Yep. Bradley Cooper did it. Uh, I don't know why I thought Todd Phillips could do it. But <laughs> um, here I am now. Uh, if, if it, I, if it I, happens, I, who the hell I'm, knows? It's fucking Twitter. Like, it's I, like, I mean, who knows? No, I just I hate this. I hate to say this because I love being the fun con- contrarian guy. But that that sounds like a nightmare that could potentially ruin the career of some people I really love. So I uh, I, I, think, I, I, I I'm very I'm very nervous by what you just told I me. I when I read that and it was said to me I was like I got I, mean, I have to ask Kenny what he thinks of this like like this is it's too good to be true it has too many Kenny Kit too many triggers things yeah, I know, to not I know. it is like Kenny Mad Libs <laughs> well, I, mean, Jer- I mean I know Jeff your favorite your, your favorite movie is all about jazz too right or one all of that them jazz. All we that should jazz. sorry sorry all, all that jazz yes and all that jazz too and uh you know a, 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 a there is a particular brand of music and I like all musicals mm-hmm. right but I you know I love love sound as music I'm not gonna put it sure. like as one of my favorite films of all time, there's a particular brand of musical, particularly mm-hmm. like, I'm, I guess I'm talking a Fosse musical that hits my pleasure centers in a way that nothing else does. And the idea of an R rated nasty uh, Harlequin um, and Lady Gaga infused musical really should do it for me. But um, well, here's the thing that, that makes me and, and listen, we're not going to, I don't want to talk about this for, for much longer. Cause obviously that's not what this episode is about, but I do just want to say this, what you're saying is interesting to me on a certain level, which is that if Todd Phillips has decided instead of ripping off Scorsese this time, I'm going to rip off Fosse this time and I'm going to do it with Lady Gaga. What a man. All man. of a sudden I'm like, 
I mean, maybe that's the most brilliant thing he's ever thought of. Now, who the hell knows if any of this happens? It's Twitter. Who the fuck knows? But it's an interesting notion. And it's the first time that I thought like, okay, that I could actually. Jeff, what's your take? Because I have one other thing to say at the end of this. Have you seen Joker, by the way, Jeff? There's no question he's seen Joker. Yeah. Yeah, he saw it. Yeah, I liked it. I, I don't, this is not an arena in which I have strong feelings, guys. Okay. So, but I will say this. I, I do echo what Kenny said. There have been so few attempts to expand what a musical can be. Absolutely. Beyond kind of cotton candy. And mm-hmm. so, and all that jazz yeah. to me, I mean, I wrote a third of my thesis in college on all right. that jazz. I think it is one of the great and still somehow inexplicably underappreciated American films. Great. I think it's an extraordinary artistic vision. I don't love everything Fosse does, by mm-hmm. the way, but I think Camaray and all that jazz are just masterpieces. I yeah. just, and no one else has tilled that particular piece of ground the I way agree. Fosse did. So, yeah, if this is a wholesale reinvention mm-hmm. of how to tell a Joker Harley Quinn story, yeah. then yeah, I'll be excited about that. Yeah, it might get me excited about this particular kind of genre film in a way that I would not customarily be. Yeah. So the 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 well, something you said made me think something, which is all right. So Phil and I often, and I, I think often is not an understatement, talk about how. For no, what it's look, worth, guys, it is now on deadline. So there's legitimacy. So, all right. So we talk we we talk about how Lady Gaga, in a sense, was born to play Audrey in uh yeah. in and it's insane Little that she's Shop, in, which is one of my you know, which is one of my favorite musicals. And uh, you know, a musical that I did. also, if you've listened to our podcast, I've I've gone for a good 20 on how much I love that movie. And mm-hmm. I'm not the movie, but the 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 musical stage sure. musical. It's great though. But I know what you're saying. Yeah. Up until the a movie's point. Yeah. good, like yeah. the movie's like good slash very good. But the performances the, are top notch. I mean, Rick Moranis and and Alan Green. I mean, the I stage mean. musical is you know twenty uh, percent darker, twenty percent nastier, twenty percent more like kind of nihilistic and pessimistic, and uh, somehow also uh, also a little more hopeful. Mm-hmm. But um, and it's the best, and I love it. And Lady Gaga could have done that. And to me, if you put that skid row skin on a joker movie there it really is there really is potential there the other point i wanted to make was if there all the willie grace fans are gonna love this i think they will if there i think are you are you you kidding yes thank you jeff yeah Yeah, i mean lady gaga i think some years yeah that's true so if if there were a and i know he's still alive but mm. if there were a 2022 version of Brian De Palma mm. who comes in oh. and riffs on what other people are doing and, you sure. know, kind of, you know, plays the same song and then expands it and changes it and, you know, puts yeah. something under it. And you're like, oh, how exciting. I love movies, too. Um, that is that feels like what Todd Phillips might be going for. I agree. But like and like the thing about Todd Phillips is like. I think, you know, I don't quite hate Joker as much as everybody else does. I think Joker is more thought provoking than everyone else does. But I also think like, even if it's not very good. Right. So like, I'm, I'm, was that? Yeah, no, that's the thing where it's like, if he's capable of executing all the stuff we're talking about here, then 
I'll eat my hat. I'll and, I'll take it on the chin and be like, yeah, no. He and did look, it. I almost think in like very similar to Zack Snyder, which is, you know, weird because they, they, you know, they're both the DC guys. I think they're like 85% of the way there. They're just shooting. They're shooting for something so fucking high that it's out of grasp for almost everybody. Right. And like, I think that 15% that Zack Snyder is missing out on really upsets some people. I generally look at it. I'm like, you tried fucking hard, man. I love you for it. Just like with Baz. I'm like, you, I'm like with Baz. I'm always just like, yeah, God, do I love the effort? So I I'll say this too. You know, and, and Kenny's been privy to this. I don't know what your thoughts are, are, are on Lady Gaga, Jeff. Are you fan, not a fan, not really? She's feel- fine. Okay. She's I, fine. I don't have strong feelings. No, and, and, and to be fair, I, I didn't really have strong feelings. We've had a roller actually, coaster with her a bit. Yeah. But I've really come around, and, and I've really come around on A Star is Born, and I've really come around on her in general. The idea of her as Harley Quinn, just in a vacuum, makes sense i mean I'm, I'm on board with that who knows all this is to say to to circle back to where we were were originally when we came onto this podcast uh i i do want to kind of end on just this idea of multicams the theatrical. so do com- i yeah because I, I wanted to ask jeff something please go for it i have no doubt you thought about this ed nelson <laughs> so uh how you're now the head of hollywood congratulations <laughs> And as and as a and as a multicam vet, you have ta- you've made it a pet project to bring back the multicam um, to make it a to, to, to make you're it positing a, a theory here is what you're saying, right? Like a, a potential. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say it's gone. Yeah. I think just yeah. point that, you know, otherwise friends wouldn't be the most streamed show on in the world. You know, I, I think your point is there's a massive appetite for it. There's just not the supply for it. So given that. You know, that part seems to be taken care of. The idea of you don't have to convince people this is something they're, they should be watching. What's the step-by-step process to making multicam a viable enough medium that a guy like me who has multicam singing in his heart would be comfortable spending time on uh, developing something that I think could actually sell and get on the air? This is about me, uh, Jeff. Okay, no, 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 I'm with you. I'm this with you. about me, Jeff. It, it would start with, I mean, it's very easy to knock television development executives, but it would have to so start. So let's do it. In the executive suites at studios and networks, they would have to understand why multicams are great. And not just because of the budgetary realities, but you would need, I mean, one of the beautiful things that we had on Will and Grace was extraordinary support from studio and network. You know why? They were the same thing. It was an NBC studio show for NBC. It was a license to print money for them. Okay. That's wonderful. But also they left us alone. Really. There was a point where we had a line, an exchange between Minnie Driver and Karen in an episode at a funeral. It was Stan's funeral and everyone's trying to figure out whether they're going to get some share of Stan's money. And (laughs) Minnie leans over to Karen and says... I'd like you to have your things out by the morning. <laughs> and then she leans back and Karen leans in and says, I'd like you to eat me. Oh, now, <laughs> we heard from broadcast standards. You can't say that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I bet. You can't say I'd like you to eat me. Okay. Jeff Zucker was standing by the camera and he said, you're not cutting that line. You're not cutting that line. Wow. And he overruled his broadcast standards guy on the spot. Wow. Okay. To protect 
what was one of the funnier moments in the show. Okay. And hotter. And there are countless examples of the network making room for Will and Grace to be as outrageous as it was. Also, they knew what good multicam looked like because these executives, you know, Warren Littlefield, Don Olmeyer, all these people had been in on Friends, Frasier, even Caroline in the City and Suddenly Susan and Inside Schwartz. Like they knew what a good and a bad multicam looked like. So the first thing, Kenny, unfortunately, is you would have to educate the a generation of executives in what good multicam looks like and how to support it. So I want to just make one point uh, yes. on what you just said. That joke in particular. Uh, I want your stuff out in the morning. I want you to eat me. It belies a, miscomp- a, a misconception about multicams that they're safe mm-hmm. and that they're that that they're stayed and that they're stale, I guess the word I'm looking for. Um, multicams, particularly Will and Grace, particularly Will and Grace, have the ability to be as blue and bold and sure. body as anything on television. Oh, yeah. So I think yeah. that, yeah, and I think like even going back, you know, I mean, I wasn't writing a multicam, but I was writing something that kind of was in this space. So I went back and watched a lot of Taxi and a lot of Cheers. And those shows are very upfront about sex and in an interesting way. And again, you have to go, you know, you have to you have to play within the parameters of your standards and practices, which I love. And I think, you know, this whole like sneaking these jokes in and if you know, you know, type situations, I think that there's a lot of. Uh, value in the possibility of playing to intelligent people who like to be part of the smart boy club. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, smart kid. you just reminded me, me. not every joke we wanted got him. I remember (laughs) it was our, but then you had to rework it and make them make it acceptable. I just want to give you an example of how aggressive Will and Grace was the first run through I ever went to of a Will and Grace episode had a scene in Will's office. I don't think it's in the episode that I, it's not in this episode. It's seen in Will's office. Will walks in. He's humming a show. Will's in there. He's humming a show tune. Jack comes through the door. They end up singing this show tune together. And then they kind of sigh and they, ah, you know, we haven't danced together to a show tune since Reagan got shot. (laughs) Now, I was like, this is the show I want to work on. Yeah. I want to be now that joke never made it to air. Okay. But that's the show I want to be on is the show that would know that two gay guys would do a little jig when Reagan got shot. That is so good. You know, my, it's my manager loves to. So, so, so the running joke with my manager and me is when news came out, that Trump had COVID and everyone thought he was going to die. I started just cheering. I just started freaking because I was on the phone with him at the time. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. So now whenever a like a right wing guy has COVID, he just sends me a text. He's- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, but you're also pointing out something, Kenny, and I I this is not a discussion I think we want to relitigate, okay? But danger. Comedy needs to be dangerous. It needs to be transgressive. It needs to be upsetting. It needs to annoy people. It needs to create controversy. We know that this is an environment where all of these things are exceedingly hard to do. And there are definitely jokes I see in these 1999 Will and Grace episodes that would never pass muster today. And as a matter of fact, would probably lead to a fucking Twitter freakout 
the likes of which you've never seen before. The dynamic between Karen and Rosario, just the way she makes fun of her Hispanic maid. Okay, now the Hispanic maid gives it back, but a lot of that discourse would never get off the starting blocks at a network today. And so, yeah, the show was a little bit dangerous, among other things. And doing comedy that's a little bit dangerous, and I mean sincerely so, I mean punching up and taking Mm -hmm. aim at really good targets, like even that is hard to do right now. So, you know. I think that's fair, but I also think that comedians should be bold. Yeah. And I think they should I I I think they should have the, the guts to 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 put out their best material. Now, if your best material is trans people are gross, then you should, you know, jump off a you building. Should rethink your you life. should work, work yeah. the fucking material. You should jump off a building. Yeah. Like really. Yeah, like, but that but yeah. but that I think that that has somehow been conflated with edgy stuff. Yes. Now I think about, for instance, the jokes that are made on succession are every bit as dangerous as the kind of stuff you're talking sure. about. Yeah. It's all then the reason I think they get away with it, you know, aside from the obvious ones of like context and you know HBO and all that stuff, is they're just the show is just so fucking good and you're so confident about where they stand morally and ethically that you're not worried that they're actually co-signing these jokes Roman makes. You just know they're it's just a guy like this makes these jokes and it's hilarious to see somebody do this in the real world. So, I mean, I just remember like something, some joke he made about, uh, I mean, every joke he makes is, is so bold and so weird and should get him canceled. And no one ever freaks out because nobody thinks more Roman is the moral center of the show. Right. And I think it would be, a, I think I, I do. I really believe a character like Karen in her 1999 form could still exist and thrive. Um, I do. I, I, that would I, be great. I, I, I do. I, I think, you know, I, I, I think it's not you or me or the creatives who are generally the problem with this particular situation. I do think this is, you know, corporate people coming in and being afraid of stuff. But in terms of like, God, comedians on stage, do your best shit. Don't be yeah, like, I agree. Don't be, don't be afraid. And again, if your best shit is, is, is the anti-trans stuff, then you should be canceled and go fuck yourselves. I have uh, I have one last question for you, Jeff, as we wrap up. Okay. Um, what is one of your favorite memories of doing this show? I, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, I wrote, I was lucky enough to get to write a two-part hmm. episode called Lows in the Mid-80s which was an episode it took us four years to figure out. Oh, that's so great. And it was a one-hour flashback episode to 1985. Will and Grace are in college. They're dating. It's been six weeks. They haven't slept together yet. And Will has not had the heart or the guts to tell her he's gay. Uh, I couldn't believe I got dealt this episode. And it was very, very hard to write. And it was, I went down a lot of blind alleys and I kept begging Max and David to take it away from me. (laughs) But the scene that of course was the hardest to write was the scene where Will actually says the words, I'm gay out loud for the first time. And we were aware that this, and I was scared out of my mind that I would do it wrong. And I talked to a lot of friends of mine who were gay or who had been the girl in that scene so that I could really try to get it right. And 
I had some high quality help, but really the scene I wrote was very, very close to what we shot. And I was really proud of that. And when we shot that scene, uh, it came off just in every conceivable way. I thought, you know, I thought that the, the version we took to the stage was really strong. Deborah and Eric were phenomenal. Jimmy staged it beautifully. We were working at the very bedrock of the show and we pulled it off. And so that was not only just a great moment for me personally, I think it was a great moment for the series. The episode getting ended up getting nominated for an Emmy. Both Deborah and Eric won. I think Eric won that year because of that episode. Uh, I was just really proud. And to me, it pointed the way forward for the fact that this show could be more than a joke dispenser, that it actually Mm -hmm. could be very deeply emotional and searching and thorny and complicated. And it's some of the, you know, it just, that was the best moment. That was the best moment. And I'm really proud that I got to write that episode. And I'm really grateful that those guys (laughs) didn't take it away from me. That's really cool, dude. Uh, well, Jeff, I mean, this was a pleasure. It's yeah. always a pleasure having you on here. Thanks. If Thanks it's for having me back. Peanuts or this or in the future, uh, 42 Up, which 42 we are up. going Can't to Can't wait to do 42 it. Up. I So I think I've watched, I know I've watched 7, 14, 21, and have to watch 20, the first. Why what? do you have to do I've that? watched them. Okay, so I've watched, you, okay. I've watched well, seven, Phil. 14, 21, and 28. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to watch them all, but I'm, I'm going to watch 30. Up. I'm going to watch 35 for sure. Okay. And then I'll watch 42. And then I'll watch the rest. Okay. I, I think it's I okay to up. just see 42 on the merits, but that's okay. I also don't know if you've done any, have you done documentaries? We've done yes. like, we've yeah. done like four or five. We've so a, we've, we've done, done we've done American oh, okay. camp. We've done. Oh, sure. Oh, okay. wrestling. Right. Sha- we've done. We did. Uh, what was the map? Beyond, Beyond the, the map. Yeah. Oh, the Barry Blue thing. Yeah. You did. Yes. We still have to do an American movie at some point. We, we've done. We did nice Dr. Thing. Death, which Dr. was really Death. good. Yep. One. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Yeah, no, so we you know, if, it, if yeah. it came out in theaters. Okay, well, then you should probably do the best documentary of all time. The, I, I mean, yeah. is 42 the best one of the series? I think it could be. I think so it, how well, many could, were there? They kept going till I think 63 is on deck. But at this point, I think. Are they all still, they're all still alive? They're not all still alive. I think alive. one has died. And that, that's when they, and of course, Michael Apted has died. So I think that's when right. they decided they would stop. Right. Um, so I think the last one is 56. If I'm not mistaken. All right. Well, I look forward to it. Uh, this is going to be great. We're going to do it. Jeff. I'm looking I forward to many 42. times. It's going to well, happen. It's a good one because I'm excited. You're 42. There you'll you go. See, Thanks you'll for see, reminding me. You'll see your future. Uh, Jeff, this is a pleasure. We can't wait to have Thanks you back. Thanks for having me. Thank and, you. Uh, I mean, as I said, this show is so dear to me. And oh, so important. thank you. So thank you for giving oh. me the opportunity to talk about it. That's so kind of you to say. Uh, but to give us your time and and your, I think he your was talking, I think he was talking about Will and Grace, not podcast. Your show is also <laughs> uh, But I speak more to um, you giving us yes. your time and your memories, your experience with this show. You're helping Kenny, obviously usher in his, you know, his multicab at it, some man. point. Oh, I'm, gonna, uh, I'm gonna, one day I'm going to come back with my the one I sold 17 years ago, and uh, <laughs> you know, you you, you you could direct if you would if you'd be so kind. Yeah, there yeah. you go. There, there's well, a there's a whole ma- there's a whole sequence in a abandoned mannequin factory. So how bad <laughs> could it be? Uh, well, thank you again, Jeff. We really do appreciate Thanks. it.
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 